Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture today. Thank you for being here. I want to remember Jared and our young folks who are away this weekend. I think they are coming home this afternoon. They are at real foot, so hopefully and prayerfully all is going well. I imagine it's cold up there, but we appreciate Jared and all the great work that he does. We are looking today at Acts chapter 24. We've been looking at great characters of Scripture, and in our study today, we're going to be talking about Felix and Drusilla. Typically, we look at these Bible characters on Sunday evening, but today we're going to be looking at this character on Sunday morning. And so I appreciate your presence. Thank you for being here. We want to remember those who are sick, those who are struggling. We've got a number of folks that are battling health issues. We also want to remember Dave and Lanny and their family members and their loss. We had the opportunity to be with them yesterday. As Paul said, to weep with those who weep. And so we express our condolences to them to let them know that we love and appreciate them and we're here for them. So we want to keep them in our prayers on a regular basis. So we begin today, let me ask this question. How many of you would call yourself a procrastinator? Do you ever procrastinate doing something that you know you need to do? It might be the case that things that we don't like to do, we procrastinate. Could be the case if there's something that is a difficult project, something that we know is going to take an extended amount of time and energy, we procrastinate. I would imagine that there are many teachers today that have to deal with the problem of procrastination in the classroom. They assign a subject. The student knows well ahead the expectations. Time draws near. Nothing is done. And then the night before the project or test, guess what? It's time to dig in, isn't it? In Acts chapter 24, we read about an account of the Apostle Paul having the opportunity to stand before two very prominent people in this day, Governor Felix and his wife Drusilla. Paul had given a defense of himself before Governor Felix. Charges were leveled against him and Paul dealt with those charges and basically they were trumped up charges. After a period of time had elapsed, Felix and Drusilla sent word to Paul. They wanted to hear something about the faith in Christ. And really, that phrase, the faith in Christ, is a designation of the faith once delivered for all. That is, the gospel, that system of faith. So they wanted to hear something about the gospel of Christ and all the things that go with that. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about this account that is recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 24. The first thing that I want to call your attention to is we think about the theme today, the danger of procrastination. First and foremost, there was what I would call curiosity about the gospel. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, they're curious about a number of things. Many today are curious about the contents of Scripture. 
There are a lot of good-hearted people that want to know more about God and about His Word and about what the Bible has to say about His Son, Jesus Christ. Felix and Drusilla, they were curious about the contents of the gospel. So they made a request of the Apostle Paul. They wanted him to come before them to sit down and have a face-to-face. Let's just talk about the Christ. Now, the text tells us that Drusilla was Jewish. She came from a very wealthy and powerful family. As a matter of fact, her great-grandfather was Herod. He was responsible for putting to death all the infant children in Bethlehem in the days of Christ. Her great-uncle, Antipas, had John the Baptist beheaded. Her own father, Herod Agrippa I, was responsible for the death of James, the brother of John, as recorded by Luke in Acts 12. So, she came from a bloody family. But they want to know something about the Christ. Now, first and foremost, I want to just talk a little bit about the focus of the message that they heard. I have no doubt that the focal point of Paul's teaching on this occasion was Jesus. When you talk about the focus of Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, New Testament Scripture, it's Jesus, isn't it? For example, do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 2? Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 5, Paul would say, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord ourselves as your servants for His sake. Paul had the opportunity to talk about Jesus and no doubt what Jesus meant to him. Can you imagine living in the first century and you have been in contact with the great Apostle Paul? Is there anything he would have relished more than sitting down with somebody who wanted to know something about the gospel, who was interested in divine truth, I can just imagine Paul relishing that opportunity to sit down, to open the Scriptures, and to talk about Jesus, the Son of God, and the impact that it had upon his own life. But then there's a second thought. It has to do with the facts of the Gospel. Now, there are certain basic facts related to the Gospel. Again, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, you remember he talked about the Gospel that he had preached to them, which they had received. And he said, herein lies the gospel in a nutshell. Number one, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, he was buried. Number three, he was raised from the dead, again, according to the scriptures. Now, oftentimes we talk about, when it comes to the gospel message, there are certain facts that must be believed. What kind of facts? Well, number one, that Jesus was the divine Son of God. There are people today that are on a quest. They want to know something more about Jesus. Have you ever thought about how much paper and ink have been given to writing about Jesus, the Son of God? I mean, there have been so many books, so many papers that have been written about the Son of God. What we would call factual data 
concerning God's only begotten Son, that He was a member of the Godhead, that He literally emptied Himself, took upon Himself the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men. He came for the purpose of tasting death for every man. So there are certain facts that must be believed. But then secondly, there are commands that must be obeyed. There are divine commands that are set forth in Scripture. It's not optional, but rather it is an obligation on our part. When the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens, you remember he declared the one true living God to those people. Individuals who were steeped in idolatry, many who had given their lives over to immorality. And Paul talked about the God who had made all nations of men out of one blood. That is, everybody ultimately descended from the same source, that being Adam. Paul said, it's in Him, that's in God that we live, move, and have our very being. He is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. And he said, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So that would be a command. If we want to enjoy the blessings of Almighty God, we've got to be willing to repent, to die to the love and the practice of sin, to become a New Testament Christian. But then there are precious promises, aren't there? Aren't there promises that are to be enjoyed? 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about those exceeding great and precious promises. One promise would be eternal life, based on what John said in 1 John 2, 25. As a matter of fact, John said, this is the promise He has promised us, eternal life. Paul writes in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, he said, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So, Felix and Drusilla, they had the opportunity to learn something about the Christ, to know more about the Son of God. I have no doubt they knew about the Christ. The things that had occurred in their province did not occur in a corner. but Rather, people were very well, very knowledgeable about the things that had transpired. But then there's a second thing. First, their curiosity. But secondly, they were confronted with the gospel. What do I mean when I say they were confronted with the gospel? Listen, when we pick this book up and open the Word of God, we are being confronted with the Word of the living God. The Apostle Paul had the opportunity to share with them the contents of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They made a request. So what Paul is going to do is reason with them about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. So what about the contents of his message? Well, number one, it involved liberation. I mentioned a moment ago that Paul relished the opportunity to teach and preach the gospel. He always looked forward to opportunities to make the gospel known to lost and dying man. Paul knew something about sin. Paul had dealt with the problem of sin in his own life, had he not? 
You remember when he wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and called to mind the fact that he had been a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent man? He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He went on to say, the grace of our Lord is exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 15, he said, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now when Paul reasoned with Felix and Drusilla about righteousness, that had to do with God's means of making men and women right with Almighty God. The gospel and the death of Jesus on Calvary was God's answer to sin. Now listen to what Paul said, Romans chapter 3. There's none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In verse 23, he would say, the wages of sin is death. So here's the Apostle Paul standing before these political figures, individuals that had great authority, and he is sharing with them God's answer to their sin problem. You know, sin is a problem. It is a profound problem, but it is a personal problem, isn't it? Sin might be a problem to my neighbor, to my family, but more importantly, it is my problem. It's a problem I have to deal with. And so Paul is sharing with Felix and Drusilla the message that can liberate them from the bondage of sin. In John 8, verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In verse 34, he said that those who commit sin are the bondservants of sin. And what Paul was trying to impress upon Felix and Drusilla the gospel has the power, it had the power in the first century, to liberate them from the bond, the bondage of sin and unrighteousness. So in verse 36, Jesus said, If the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. Now we've been freed from the power of sin, haven't we? And Paul is sitting face to face with this couple. And I would, have, I would say, matter of fact, I have no doubt in a kind and loving way, Paul shared with them the fact, look, there's hope for you. You might be living in sin. Your life might be upside down. And you might feel as if you are knee deep in the muck and the mire of sin. But to understand that Jesus can liberate you from sin and unrighteousness. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, God be thanked that though you were the servants of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered to you. And being set free from sin, he said, you became the servants of righteousness. There's the idea of being liberated, set free from sin and death. But then there's a second thing. Not only did that message involve liberation, it involved regulation. And herein lies the problem. Let me tell you why some folks will not submit to the gospel message. Because they're not willing to give up the world and the ways of the world. When the Bible says that Paul reasoned with them about righteousness, 
He added to that self-control. Go back and read history. Felix and Drusilla, they lacked self-control in their own lives, as many do today. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today, they have literally immersed themselves in the ways of the world. Can you enjoy the pleasures of the world? Sure you can. Are there things that, from a worldly vantage point, you might enjoy? That it might take a lot of strength to walk away from? Again, the answer would be yes. I mean, these guys, Felix and Drusilla, they were living as they wanted to live. They were doing as they wanted to do. Historians say that Felix literally stole Drusilla away from her husband. He didn't have a right to her, but he took her. Now, there are people in the world today that will say right up front, I know that's what the Bible teaches. I know that's what God says, but I'm not willing to do it. Sure. Paul said, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust. The hard part of Christianity is dying to self. Listen to Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, Matthew 16, 24. Are you saying then that we have to practice self-denial? Yes. Why is it some people are not willing to obey the gospel of Christ? Because they're selfish. It's because they don't want to live in conformity to the will of God. Are you saying then that there's a binary code that regulates our behavior? Listen to what Paul said, Titus chapter 2. He said, The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man teaching us, instructing us, the denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Is that easy to do? Not at all. But that's what God said. That's what God wants. So, Paul talks to them about the fact that the gospel regulates our behavior. Once you become a child of God, you're not at liberty to just live as you please. In Romans chapter 6, Paul raised the question, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? His response, certainly not. God forbid. Why? Because we've died to sin. So he asked the question, how shall we live any longer therein? When we obey the gospel of Christ, we're saying that old way of life, it's called repentance. We die to that old way of life and we say we're going to live for the Lord day in, day out. There's a third thing. The gospel, the message that Paul shared, it involved liberation, it involved regulation, and then thirdly, expectation. It's as if Paul is upping the ante here. Paul reasoned with Felix and Drusilla about, listen to him, reasoned with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Are there people in our world today 
who need to know something about the judgment to come? Isn't that a reality? Didn't the Apostle Paul, when he was on Mars Hill in the city of Athens, didn't he say that God commands all men everywhere to repent? The reason being, he's a, he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. When the Apostle Paul again wrote to the saints in Rome, he said, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall give an account to God. Paul's simply saying, look, we have the ability to make choices in life. We make those choices every day. But the bottom line is, one day God will hold us accountable for how we live. Drusilla had a Jewish background. Was she mindful? Did she know something about the judgment to come? Do you remember what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 12? Solomon said that the summation of life is to fear God, keep His commandments. For God shall bring every work into judgment, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Affirming the fact that there's coming a day, and think about this for a minute. Felix was a powerful man, wasn't he? And Felix controlled the imprisonment of the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul is saying, let me tell you what, Felix, could I say this to you, Drusilla? You have power today, but one day you're going to stand in the presence of God. And you're going to give an account of your life to deity. What was it John said, Revelation chapter 20? John said, I saw the dead small and great standing before God. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by those things which were written in the books. Affirming, on that great and final day, God's going to take this book and He's going to open it. And He's going to judge the hearts and the lives of people out of this book. So by the way, does your life conform to this book? Are you living in harmony with the teaching of the gospel? Paul let Felix and Drusilla know, you're going to stand before the living God one day. Now we talk about deity and the Lord Jesus Christ and what He means to us. We have never had the opportunity to stand face to face with Jesus. But that day's coming, isn't it? The day is coming when we will stand in the presence of the great I Am. Are you ready? You ready for that day? Third thing, there was concern over the gospel. The Bible tells us that when Felix heard these things, the text says he was afraid, terrified petrified. You ever been scared? You ever been in a situation in life when you were really, really scared? You ever been there? Maybe you were in some circumstances that were out of your control. You felt helpless and you were scared to death. There are times in life when because of certain circumstances, 
We're scared. We're terrified. Little children sometimes are scared of the dark, aren't they? They want a light on at night. Why? Because the darkness scares them. Let me tell you what, when Felix heard this message, now the text doesn't say anything about Drusilla. When he heard this message, he was afraid, and rightly so. Now look, when we hear the gospel of Christ, the good news of the gospel is that God has the ability to save us from sin. Not only does God have the ability, but God will save us from sin, won't He? Didn't Jesus say the Son of Man's come to seek and save the lost? God's in the saving business. God wants people to be saved. The Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter said God's not willing that any should perish. I would underline that word, any. God doesn't want anyone, man or woman, black or white, rich or poor, educated, uneducated. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. But rather His desire is that all would come to repentance. But that's your choice, my choice. Felix was terrified at the message he heard, petrified. So what did he do? The text says that he told the apostle Paul, go your way. When I have a more convenient season, convenient time, he said, I'll call for you. You know what he did? Procrastinated. Do you think the message resonated with Felix? Yes, it did. He knew exactly what Paul meant. Understood without question the contents of that message. And yet, Felix, like so many people today, they hear the gospel, stings them for a minute, they think about it when they leave, and then as time begins to move forward, what happens? That message that had initially convicted them, stung them, put it out of their mind, going about their daily business. Now, I don't know if Felix ever obeyed the gospel. The text doesn't tell us. But he did what a lot of people do in this world today. Let me tell you what, you can procrastinate some task that you have around your house. Maybe, that, maybe there are no real implications there. But you procrastinate obeying the gospel of Christ, that can have tremendous consequences. When I was a teenager, I remember the Sunday that I made the decision I want to become a Christian, 14 years old. As I was leaving to go home that Sunday morning, people oftentimes will meet you and hug you and tell you how proud they are of you. And we do that every time somebody obeys the gospel here. Nothing wrong with that. But I never will forget this older lady came to me. I was in the parking lot. She came up to me and she said, of course, she was grateful that I'd become a Christian. And she was congratulating me on that. But she said, you know, when I was young, my brother and his friend were sitting in the pews. And my brother told his friend, I'm going to become a Christian today. His friend said, don't do it today. Wait till next week. 
And she said, you know what happened? He drowned before the next Sunday. Now look, I'm not saying that anything's going to happen to you this week. I'm not saying that you're going to have an accident or that you will leave this world tomorrow, this afternoon. But what I am saying is there is always that possibility, right? We just don't know. So, if you fail to do what you need to do today, can you assure me that you have tomorrow? Can you tell me unequivocally that you're going to be here next Sunday or the next Sunday or the next Sunday? Or that that convenient time will ultimately occur down the road when you can obey the gospel? Now look, if you're not a Christian, my prayer is that God will spare your life until you can do what you know you need to do. But I want to close with this. Don't wait too late. You ever wonder how many people are in eternity as we speak? And they have the haunting thought. And they'll think this throughout all of eternity. I had the opportunity time and again to obey the gospel. Time and again, I said no. Where am I now? I'm in eternity. And I'm lost. There's no hope for me. Don't let that happen to you. Don't leave this world without Jesus in your life. When Paul wrote about the judgment in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul had this to say in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why would I encourage you to obey the gospel? Because I know no one is promised tomorrow. And I know if you die in your sins, Jesus said, where I am, there you cannot come. If you die in your sins, as Paul said, the wages of sin is death. That is eternal separation from Almighty God. You'd be lost forever. The good news is, you don't have to be lost. The good news is, you can respond today to the gospel of Christ. What would you need to do? Believe Jesus is the Son of God. Put your faith in Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Walk away from a life of sin. Look, I know something about the allure of sin. You know something about it. We all know how the world operates. The devil wants to keep us enslaved in sin. And what Jesus is saying is, there's a better way of life. Will you take that lifeline? Will you repent of your sins today? Confess with your mouth what you believe in your I know you believe Jesus is the Son of God. You wouldn't be here. Would you be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away? Would you do that today? If you'll do that today, you can leave here redeemed, cleansed, saved. You can leave here knowing that whatever happens in your life, if your life were to end this week, all is well with your soul. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you want to try to get your life back on track, it might be that you do that from the pew you're sitting in. You make the decision right now. I'm going to do better. 
It might be that you want people to pray for you so that you'll have the strength to walk away from sin. You know, James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all, A-L-L, -L, all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?